Hey guys, I'm Nick. And I'm Eugene. Welcome to Paper Cut. This week, we'll be talking about The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Set in the roaring 20s of America, when prohibition was alive and morals were looser, the story is about a man trying to rekindle his past flame while simultaneously navigating its way around American high society. It turns out getting his old lover back is a lot harder than it seems, given that she's married and with a kid. You know, I have some thoughts about this, but just saying that out loud, it sounds like I've described a very soppy Korean drama. Well... I mean, I can see The Great Gatsby being a very successful Korean drama if I was to nail, you know? I mean, aren't all love stories technically the same? Like, <laughs> I swear, I swear, okay, sidetrack for a bit, but I swear all certain love stories, especially the ones of the Korean variety, you have a boy, they have a girl, they meet, they fall in love, then they break up, they fall in love again, and then somebody dies. You've got one very important bit. Oh, go. Is they are from different societies that don't fit in together oh my god that's actually gatsby i mean that's gatsby that's romeo and juliet that's uh crash landing on you oh my god <laughs> or uh or um uh the, the one with the alien i forgot what it's called that's an alien one yeah yeah, yeah. The, the 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 one with uh choi uh Jeon in it I, I could not tell you um, i could not tell i you. think the, the k fans the korean fans in the in the audience would know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Shout out. Anyway, let's get back to the book. Um, so I read this book a long time ago for my exams and it's a book I keep revisiting. I've read this book quite a few times now and every time I read it, I'm not going to lie, there are still new things I pick up on. Like, In terms of plot, I think it's very simple. Some parts are convoluted needlessly, but I'm sure it serves a greater point. But I must say for this book, you read it for language, because I must say it's written very poetically. I do agree with that. Like, um, I think one of the main, th- one of the main impressions I had while I was reading it is that that F. Scott Fitzgerald actually does a very good job in setting out a scene. Like, he actually makes it so that you can picture stuff very well in your brain without too um, J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh my god. It always goes back to that whenever oh, we talk yeah. about scenery, but like um yeah he knows he knows the right spots to the right buttons to press and there's actually one point I want to say is during some of the night scenes that he describes I think there's one in particular, mm-hmm. um after it was like right after dark everyone's gone, like um he describes like um Daisy was singing along to this song, mm-hmm. and when if you search up the song and you picture it alongside with like what he's describing it actually matches very well there's another few scenes with like um the clip springer playing the piano as well and you can picture that and it fits really well so that's like a very nice touch by him like those are songs that actually exist and you can overlay them with the scene and it makes sense okay i think just for the benefit of those who haven't necessarily read the book or if you have just so that you know who the characters we're talking about of course, main character is Gatsby, Jay Gatsby, who we find out his real name is actually James Gats, but we'll get to that in a bit. Then we have his lover, Daisy uh, Buchanan, or yeah. Daisy Carraway, depend- her maiden name. Her husband is Tom Buchanan. 
she has a kid, but no one really cares about yeah. that one. <laughs> then there's um, the main narrator of the book, Nick Carraway, who is second cousin to Daisy. And that's how they know each other. And Nick Carraway is also Jay Gatsby's neighbor. And that's how he and Jay know each other. Then the final one is Jordan Baker, who is kind of there to kind of drive some of the plot elements on. But in my opinion, the book really doesn't center around her. She's more of a supporting character in every sense of the word. No, I agree. Right. Apart from being Nick's girlfriend, I don't really remember any sort of like actual contribution by her. Right. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, I'll give my opinion first. I read this book when I was studying it for my exams and I'm not going to lie. It's one of those books where at the time when I read it, when I was like 15, 14, it was much better better to have a teacher explain everything to me because I've subsequently recommended this book to other people so like parents uh, friends and they say they couldn't really get into it completely some of the nuances were lost on them and it really put me back into that idea that it's actually easier if a teacher went through this with you that makes sense yeah I agree because actually I read the book without a teacher's guidance and uh I actually missed out on some of the major themes in the book, so we'll get into that a bit later. But I think just in general, reading the book does make me feel like a bit lost at times. Yeah. And I think there are definitely places where I would have asked for a teacher's opinion on what those passages meant if I had a choice to. Instead, I just had to go on spark notes. <laughs> spark notes. Oh, great. What would we be without them? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> And the thing is, I never actually studied Gatsby in school, so um, kind of have to pick up at a very old age, as you, uh, if you will. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. When I first heard The Great Gatsby, I didn't even know it was a book. I didn't even think it was a book. You know what I thought of? Is it the, uh, the spray? The Gatsby hair gel. Spray, yeah. I was thinking of the Gatsby hair gel, and I was like, oh, it's a book. And you know what the worst part was? The worst part was the cover of my book was this was this guy and he had slicked that gelled hair. <laughs> so I genuinely thought The Great Gatsby was about that guy, the guy who founded The Gatsby Hair Gel. Like, The Gatsby Hair Gel was so good, they made a book out of it. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, like, that's just... Easy mistake to make, I must say. I mean, there's some things where I just didn't know the book. There was, like, a book about it, or, like, I just completely misconstrued the entire context of it. But anyway, that's, that's like, that's for, that's for later on. Let's talk about some of the ideas that were in the book. So, um, I think let's start with you. Like, what ideas jumped out to you? So, the most obvious one to me is the whole notion of being haunted by your past right so i think you've said in the um introduction this guy's trying to rekindle his past flame and a lot of it is about this but it goes on more i think into sort of him talking about his past and how it influences him right now either how he lets them define him or he learns from them and he tries to make decisions based on them so there is a whole concept of how the past influences a person in the present. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this idea that, especially, you've watched Avengers Endgame, right? Yeah. 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 So, the, I think, I like this joke where 
you know, nowadays, like, it's people's dream is not even to necessarily get superpowers anymore. The dream in Avengers Endgame is to go back and redo your mistakes. <laughs> like, like you get screwed with superpowers, you just want to be, you just want the ability to yeah. go back and fix your mistakes. You just want to go back, right? You just want to be like, oh yeah, I, I did this thing back then that I regret and I want to rectify that. It doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what superpower you have, right? Like, even, even the original Superman, you know? The, the thing that people remember from that is he goes and, like, unrevolves the world. So it goes back to before his girlfriend dies. And then he saves her then. So, like, this is, like, inherent within the whole, I guess, a lot of storytelling is about this. So, yeah, sorry. I don't, I, I guess I don't really mean, like, the past influence on the present, but more like, more like the will to rectify uh, past mistakes that you've done. And, and strongness of that will, I guess. You know, it's really interesting, like, especially in this context, you mentioned that he's quite haunted by his past because he's met this girl, and I think back then, like, he probably knew in his mind because he doesn't come from a very rich family, and she obviously does. And he probably knew when they first met, he was an army army officer and she uh, before the Great War, and she was, you know, just rich and there, aristocrat, just being there in America. And... You could tell that apparently they had some feelings for one another and he wanted her, but he knew that he couldn't get her. And in fact, it was so much so that in the book, he actually says that during the Great War, he tried very hard to die, but that he was actually, but he, his life is very, very enchanted and he did die and he mm. ended in Oxford. So I guess in that sense, it's like he knew that at that point in time, in the past, that was as good as it was ever going to get. And even then... Like, he couldn't do anything about it. Like, that was it. And he still fixated on that point in time. Oh, that's... Sad. That's sad, yeah. It's there's no other, there's no other word to put it, yeah. It's some proper K-drama stuff right there, like... And um, then, and then like, uh, when a book's set, you know, he's he's all up there. So he was like, now I'm going to go back and try and get her. Now that I have the social status. Exactly. And he makes all those like huge parties, all those guests around just to show how glamorous he is. Oh man, like not gonna lie, like if you had all the money in the world and all the time in the world, like he has these parties. He says it he says it blatantly. He has these parties just so that hopefully one day she wanders into them. Yeah. I do remember that bit. Oh and then and she never does and he has to actually go find Nick himself. I know, right? <laughs> oh god. It's so K drama. This is the OG K drama. I mean, if it wasn't for the beautiful language, I would just dismiss this as a K drama. Set this in Seoul, in like Gangnam or something like that, and I'd say yeah, it's a K drama. I, I I'm, I'm sidetracking. Um, I think you've touched upon it also already, and I've touched upon it as well. This idea of class struggle and sort of entrenched class systems. Actually, that's, that was like the theme that I was talking about that I missed when I read it. Right. Because um, it wasn't apparent to me that the reason they couldn't be together was because of the social status. I always thought it was because he had to get enlisted and then he got stuck in Europe somehow. I see. And that's why he couldn't go back. I guess there's also an element of class struggle as well. It wasn't apparent to me at first, yeah. But now I do see it. Yeah. Because I think, like I said, this is when I was taught with a teacher, right? Because teacher yeah. taught me everything. And so that made things a lot easier to visualize. So I think there were a few things to talk about. So 
when I was taught in school, it was very much this idea of new money and old money. So if you're old money, your family was always rich. You came from Europe. You emigrated to you emigrated to America, and you were just set from the get go.、Mm. Whereas new money, you probably came from nothing, and you had to work your way up and get all the way to the top. Okay, and even you could have the same amount of money, but there's still some disparity between that, and you can see this very clearly from where they live. So Daisy and Tom, the old money, they live on the East Egg, which is well. Seen as the rich part, so the old world, like east side of the Atlantic, is the old world, and that's seen as the richer part. And Gatsby lives on the West Egg, the new world, new money, and so because of that, there's some inferiority or superiority complex that these two breeds just never mix. That was, I think, present in the book, and I think without a teacher to show me that, I don't think I would have known straight away. Yeah, I do kind of see a class division. Being, I guess, written out. Although I didn't think it was very explicitly written out right? Right. in the book, so I'm aware of like East Egg and West Egg,、mm. and the way I pictured them was like Hong Kong and well, Kowloon Peninsula. But it's not as a, it's not as well defined here, so I guess that I couldn't really visualize the just how just how different the divide was back then. Exactly, and like because they were both portrayed as like rich people. So in my mind, it was like, oh right, so they're both rich. So why is there a divide here? I guess why is it written as a divide if they're both rich? Exactly. I mean, I I do I wish I could say like this is stuff in the nineteen twenties, but you can still see it in like today's society. Because even if you're rich, there's still like different levels of rich as well, and you could be like. New money, and that you have, you could be like born and rich and old money, entrenched in every system, and it's just so toxic. That's the way I'd say it. It's just to- <laughs> needlessly toxic. Like if you told me, like having all this wealth comes with this so much crap, is it worth it? I don't know if I know.、Um, but I think that's one element I looked at, and that was the element I looked at in school. But there's actually another element to consider as well. So you have these two characters, these few characters who are rich, but Different social、uh, statuses, and then you also have in the book these two characters, Wilson and Myrtle. So Wilson is a garage mechanic who fixes Tom's cars, and Myrtle is Tom's、uh, is Wilson's wife and Tom's mistress.、Mm-hmm. Who well, they are very 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 poor, and so you can see sort of the divide in that as well. Like you have. This idea of oh yeah, if you're really really rich, you may be trampling on like the working class and everything. That sort of stuff also comes into play, and so you have East Egg and West Egg being the rich areas, and then beneath all of this, you have this entire stretch of road where people imagery of people just working, tilling, hard manual labor every day, and they're just right bam smack in the middle of East Egg and West Egg. Ah,、uh, that's what they mean by go into town, right? Exactly, like go into the. Slums, basically. Basically, it's a different world for them, and just goes to show like how divided it all was back then. And I wish I could say it was clearly a lot better now, but well, depending on how you look, in some in some cases it is, but in many cases it's also not. So it just depends on where you look and how you look at it. Anyway, like it's interesting to see how these things were a thing back then, and sort of hasn't really changed as time's gone on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's still there's still the whole idea of、um, wealth gap now,、exactly. and people would disagree on 
um, the severity of the issue now than they were back then. But Probably. I guess back then it's a lot more defined in terms of property because you either have this or you don't or you don't whereas now like we both have cars but maybe mine's like a like mine's like a nissan for example mm -hmm. that's actually the car that we have nice that's like from from when i was in kindergarten nice and um, you can have a tesla you know this is that and it's not only that as well like it's a bit like you have people like me who like who earn a good amount to survive for one person but then yeah, and then you have billionaires, like people with $1 billion, I call you a billionaire already. And then you realize even within the billionaire class, there's like levels of billionaires as well. <laughs> there's like 1% and then there's the 0.1%. And then even then it just keeps cutting down. Like, and don't talk to me if you're not within the 0.001%. Exactly. That's, that's ah, complicated. And so elitist within elitist, right? You need to always feel better about yourself than someone else that's why you always keep creating those mindless little things to up yourself up your own game oh yeah exactly i have this much money i earn this much like well done what are you gonna do with it <laughs> i don't know is it worth how do you spend it i don't have time to spend it. i'm working too hard <laughs> stuff like that but yeah i think that's one aspect to discuss and yeah i mean that's a big thing so entrenched class systems and this book was written in 1925, sorry, it was published in 1925, and this was still in the Roaring Twenties period, so we talked a few episodes ago about, about Off Mice and Men and how it was about the decline of the American dream, and to some degree, I don't know if this was telling about the time, but I, I do feel like this was the decline of the American dream as well, because in the book, the American dream is what? You come from nothing, you build yourself up, and you can become anything you want. Okay, and that's what Gatsby is, right? So we discussed this earlier, like, who is Gatsby? And you find that Gatsby is actually just a construct. Gatsby is a social construct. <laughs> he's <laughs> not real, guys. He's not real. He's <laughs> just a social construct. You should get past it. I mean, yeah, okay. I mean, put the, put the politics aside, but he is a genuine construct. He says so in the book. So Gatsby is actually originally a man called James Gats, who came from a poor farming place, left home, joined the army, and afterwards became a bootlegger to get himself a bit richer. And so Gatsby was his idea of what a platonic man should be, what the perfect man should be, and how steps he has made to achieve it. And he found that the best way to do that is to relinquish his past completely and create this persona and become this persona, Jay Gatsby. And to some extent, that is what the American dream is. Like, you can become anything despite where you come from. And what clearly happens in the book is that's clearly not the case. As in, he becomes his idea of success. Like, rich, successful, big house, fancy cars, big parties every night, popular, but he is miserable. He can't eat, and he can't get, like, he can't get what he thinks is his dream because of where he is in society. But here's, here's the question, right? Yeah, yeah. Would you say that Gatsby has achieved the American dream in every sense, but the American dream isn't history? That is one way to look at it as well. Because I, I actually got a bit um, confused on the particular American dream bit of this book. Because while I agree that there is a theme of American dream in here. I can't quite grasp what the American dream is in this book. Is it Gatsby's fame and power 
or is it his yearn for um, Daisy? I think it changes. I think it changes depending on when you ask him. So if he was a kid, I'd say, yeah, it's probably the fame, the power and the money. But when you ask him, like, at sort of before he goes to war, I'd think, I think it becomes Daisy. So his dream changes. And I guess in that sense, the American dream was always there, but his dream sort of veered away from that. Or you could see this as like, or you could see Daisy as a piece to achieving the dream because Daisy comes from the old money world. Mm-hmm. And effectively by marrying her, he gets into that social strata. That makes sense. I see, I see. Okay. The thing I'm still not quite sure about is mm-hmm. by you saying that Daisy is part of the dream mm-hmm. to get into the old strata, does that mean that what his uh, position was in the book so like he has all the money he has all the fame that doesn't matter effectively it's a it's a step i see it as a step in the ladder as in he's not at the top of the ladder yet okay. it's, it helps but he as in, like, it's him. not the complete american dream exactly. he's 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 achieved part of it exactly okay i see i see i guess because the american dream also includes having a loving wife and whatnot <laughs> right and his loving his idea of a loving wife is daisy yeah so yeah so he has achieved the outside bit, but now he wants the inside bit, and that's what's tricky. Potentially. I mean, there's even some... Uh, that's why this book, I think, there's so many ideas, because one can argue, does he even want that love, or does he just want that social status? Mm. So there's there's loads of elements to dissect into this, and there's no... I don't think there's any general consensus now. Because it's art, right? Like, you can't just force yeah. a general consensus necessarily. You can't be like, that has what he meant. Exactly. I think that's what he meant. No, that's yeah, fine. That's fine, exactly. <laughs> oh, anyway, that, so there's a bit about that as well, but there's this thing that has been bugging me. There's a, there's a particular idea and scene that's been bugging me, and I'm going to share it with all of you because I cannot, for the life of me, come to a consensus. I've done all the Google searches. I cannot find a consensus to this. And it is, I am convinced, a gay scene in the book. Go on. Right. So, in chapter two, towards the end, okay, what happens is Tom, Nick, his, uh, Tom, Nick, Tom's mistress, Myrtle, and this other couple that never gets mentioned again, they all go for a little party in a little apartment, okay? And the night comes to an end, and the McKee, Mrs. McKee, stays with uh, Myrtle and Tom for a bit longer just because there was a bit of violence there. And so, she's Mrs. McKee's the neighbor, right? Yeah, the yeah, other so couple. So the couple is Mr. McKee, Mrs. McKee. Yeah. Just for the just audience. For the okay. yeah. And what happens is Mr. McKee and Nick go home. And this is the scene. I'm, I'll read it out loud. You tell me what you think, okay? Here's how it goes. Then Mr. McKee turned and continued out of the door. Taking my hat from the chandelier, I followed. Come to my lunch someday, he suggested, as we groaned down in the elevator where anywhere keep your hands off the lever snapped the elevator boy i beg your pardon said mr mckee with dignity i didn't know i was touching it all right i agreed i'll be glad to i was standing beside his bed and he was sitting up between the sheets clad in his underwear with a great portfolio in his hands Beauty and the Beast, Loneliness, Old Grocery Horse, Broken Bridge, then 
I was lying half asleep in the cold lower level of Pennsylvania Station, staring at the morning tribune and waiting for the four o'clock train. So why is the elevator boy Eric Cartman? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's how I see it. That's how I see it. I had to do the voices, okay? I'm trying to start a career in audiobooks, as you can tell. Uh, okay, this is... For the love of for the love of God, this is a, a gay scene, right? Please. I think it's worth noting that the I was standing beside his bed bit, it was preceded by dot dot dot. Yeah, it was. I'll be glad to dot dot dot. I was standing beside his bed, and he was sitting up between the sheets, clad in his underwear, with a great portfolio in his hands. See, when I first read this, I actually also didn't understand what was going on, because. What I do want to read is I picture what's going on. I guess everyone does that as well. You picture what's going on. So I picture them in the elevator. Yeah. And then it says there, the next, so the next scene there is I was standing beside his bed. So I just, I just auto filled in everything between that. And the way I auto filled in was that he walks this guy back to his apartment because um, this guy is like an old guy, right? Yeah. I don't think he's that old. Oh, okay. So he's not that old. But just as a friend, you know. Oh, yeah, I first met you. So um, I walk him back home. And then, um, you know, he just wants to go to sleep very badly. So he just takes off all his clothes. <laughs> and and, and, and I just stood there like, okay. And then I went. So that's the way I pictured it. But actually, now that I think about it. If you, yeah, if you were to say it's a gay scene then it, it would make more sense. It would make a lot more sense. If it was just a friendly one, you'd stop as clad in his underwear. But the fact is, he went with a great portfolio in his hands. Beauty and the Beast. Loneliness. Old grocery horse. Broken bridge. I'm so confused. And I had to bring this up. Gotta ask my English teacher. Okay. I'll leave this down to the audience as well. Anyway, I think we're... Coming to the final part of this little episode, let's talk about a few quotes that we really liked. Yeah, okay. So for me, um, there's one quote that particularly stand out. And that's, there are only the pursued, the pursuing, the busy, and the tired. So this quote was, I think, talking in particular about um, romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. But I think it can also be applied to pursuing success. Yeah. So yeah, so it's pretty self-explanatory, right? You can you can group everyone in the world, like every adult, mm-hmm. who has a career in those four categories. So it's quite it's quite sort of revealing, because it's basically saying that you either go on, or you stop. Yeah. Right. I guess duh, <laughs> but you know when I say it out loud, duh, but. It's quite um, revealing and also like a, well, like a reminder to me. You know, you're gonna keep going because otherwise, you'd you'd be you'd be classified as tired, or busy, or busy, mm-hmm. or busy, or busy. Being busy is not the same as being productive. I guess so. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's one way to look at it. Um, I mean, that's a good quote. Like, I highlighted it as well, and I think you've encapsulated everything I wanted to say about it quite nicely um, there's a quote I really liked from the very beginning of the book and it's I think one of the more famous ones 
In my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice that I've been turning over in my head ever since. Whenever you feel like criticizing anyone, he told me, just remember that all the people in the world haven't had the advantages you've had. You know, and I say this coming from a position of, I'd say, privilege, because there's so many things I haven't had to worry about. I haven't had to worry about hunger. I haven't had to worry about looking after myself too much. I have always had people looking after me, loving parents. So, and I know, especially as I've moved on, as I've grown older and met more people, that and not everyone has these things. And so every time I try to criticize someone, every time I'm thinking of, oh, F this guy, F this guy, like, I always hold back and I say, you know what, maybe this person hasn't had the things I've had. And likewise, like, I haven't had the same things that person has, and I shouldn't resent them for it. It's just the way it is, you know, it's just a bit of luck. Everyone has that in their life, and there's a bit of, if I was in your position, I would do that kind of thing, right? Like, if I was... If I had the experiences that you had, then it would make sense for me to think like this. Or it would make sense for me to do this. I think it's a statement of empathy. Yeah. Just try to empathize with the situation. And I really liked it. It's one of those things why I keep coming back to, like, try to just... A bit of self-control, a bit more understanding. But here's the thing, right? Yeah. Do you think that I can empathize with someone and still criticize them? Yes, I definitely think so. Because I feel like um, that's the bit about this quote that I would, um, well, play devil's advocate on, mm-hmm. as to say. So I can go, oh yeah, in your position, it makes sense, right? But then I can also go, in my position, it makes sense for me to criticize you. Yeah. Like, do you think that's a valid sort of counterpoint to this quote? I think empathizing and criticizing are two very different things. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like if someone's really poor and they stole a piece of bread, I'd empathize it, but I would still criticize the action if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, in that regard, I think I would, I'd be more lenient with it. But in my mind, I'm also I'll be like I'll criticize what you do because I think they're two different things. The empathizing, I think, sort of puts you into that mindset. And sort of gauges on how you would criticize that, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I guess I guess uh, what you're saying is that the criticize word in here is more is more appropriate to use the word judge, right? Yeah. Than criticize. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, he talks about reserving judgments here, but I guess later on he actually says reserving judgments is a matter of infinite hope. So, so, well, so you're always gonna have to cover both ends, you, you know. Cover both ends just in case. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I was, there was one more quote in here that I was gonna cover, but I've already covered it. So, last quote, I'll give it to you. All right. Um, for me, it was uh, it was more of a funny quote for me. Go on. It was when Tom was having an argument with Gatsby uh-huh. um, about Gatsby, um, you know, f-ing his wife. Ah, yeah, and. Tom was getting more and more angry and um, Nick says as a narrator he says angry as I was as we all were I was tempted to laugh whenever he opened his mouth the transition from Libertine to Prig was so complete so just for the dictionary definition of Libertine and Prig here because I know I didn't know what those meant at first and a lot of you probably don't so Libertine is defined as someone who 
does everything with no moral with um with no moral yeah with no moral backing or no moral like um compass yeah compass and prick is a self-righteous person <laughs> so here the quote was basically saying this guy's a hypocrite <laughs> because he goes from being someone who has his own mistress mistress by the way like yeah. tom has his own mistress myrtle and he goes on to preach about family morals to Gatsby. And he goes like, oh yeah, um, I guess I guess like nowadays, you know, um, family values don't matter anymore. And he, and he speaks of this as like the absolute truth. And even in the same section, he implies it to be like the found, one of the foundations of modern civilization. So it's like a big deal kind of thing. Yeah. But obviously like, you know, He's also f***ing someone else's wife. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's just funny to me. Like, the world is full of those people, you know. Oh my god. People oh, I think we are, all, we are all hypocrites at some point. Everyone's a hypocrite, yeah. everyone's a critic. But like, I don't know, I think there's some points where you just have to call it out, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, fair enough. I think on that note, I think that's a nice place to stop and on a high, right? So Eugene... Would you recommend this book? Because you've read this more recently than I have. So I would say do read this book uh, because the writing is very elegant. The way Fitzgerald sets the scene, they're very beautiful lines of writing. I think that in itself is a good enough reason to read a book. Um, would I say it's worth rereading? Yeah, probably. I will probably read it at some point. Just read those, those lines again. And also to, um, I guess rekindle the themes exactly but um most importantly do read it with a friend or like with someone who can guide you through this book so i think that's a very important part because unless you have the necessary historical context then you might not look as much into or you might not see as much or take as much away from the book as someone who has studied this like a uh, nick here would yeah I think even though I studied in, in school, I'm really blessed to have because it's just given me so much perspective into the book. And like Eugene said, it's written so elegantly that like I recommend this highly to anyone who hasn't read it. But I do appreciate that if you don't like it, it's probably because you might not understand fully the context of it or it just might not be for you. Like if you're not too into the language element of it, you're just in it for the plot, then I would say it's a bit weak in that side. But as a book looking at the language and looking at the setting it's very very good yep agreed all right and on that, on that spot i think that's a good place to end join us next week for more book reviews until then this is paper cut i'm nick and i'm eugene peace out